Now, this morning we want to begin a new series of messages on prayer, pursuing God in prayer. And I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up at verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, uh, will you please stand with me? And uh, let's read this passage together. And then I'm going to ask you to join me when we get to verse 20, which is this great doxology that Paul prays on behalf of the people there at Ephesus. So you follow along as I read and then join me on verse 20. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you, be, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and now let's read together now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, we love you. Open our minds and our hearts to the truth that you would have us to grasp onto today. May we be in a lifelong pursuit after you. May we look forward to connecting with you every single day. Help us to have a focus on you that extends into every dimension of life. May we make that connection with you that is the most important connection we can ever make as we humble ourselves and seek your face every day. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Connecting with God in prayer is life-changing. I'm going to say that one more time. Connecting with God in prayer is life-changing. College president had made a trip to Washington, and he had an opportunity to meet with the vice president of the United States, and so he came back and reported about his trip to his constituency. And he said, you know, we had a wonderful opportunity to share what God is doing at the school with the vice president. And while we were there, we even had an opportunity to meet the president. But he said, that's no big deal. Today, I connected with God. It's not connecting with people in high places that really matters. It's all about connecting to the living God. God is a person. He longs to have fellowship and communication with us. But all too often, we as human beings in our weakness, the only time we really get serious about prayer is when things are not going very well. 
And we miss this important matter of cultivating a relationship with the one that loves us so much. In fact, in the Psalms, it speaks of God as bending down low. He wants to listen to our prayers. He longs for this fellowship more than anything else. Some time ago, Better Homes and Gardens did a survey. They asked people this question. To whom do you go as a resource in times of difficulty? And this was a national survey that went out to believers, unbelievers, a wide swath of the American people. Almost 65% said they, in times of distress, they, they turned to God in prayer. Prayer seems to be really important when there is a crisis or when there's a concern. And yet another survey points out that the average Christian layperson only spends about four minutes connecting with God in prayer on a daily basis. And pastors don't fare much better. Only about three minutes more. Most pastors, according to this survey, only connect with God about seven minutes a day. We know that prayer is important. We know that cultivating a relationship with the living God is the most significant connection we can make, but all too often, we get so wrapped up in all the stuff of life that we miss connecting with the one that loves us more than anything else. Now here in the book of Ephesians, the apostle helps us understand the uniqueness of our relationship to God as believers in Christ. You see, it's that relationship that we have to Him that really stimulates us to want to talk with Him and to listen to Him. Many of us, and I struggle with this myself, we don't spend enough time in, in solitude and quietness listening to the voice of God. It's very interesting as we take a look at what Paul says to the Ephesians here in this prayer. Notice verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Now when he says for this reason, it's very important for us to understand what he's talking about. For this reason I kneel. And it all has to do with what he says in chapter 2 and also the beginning part of chapter 3. He reminds the Ephesians about the relationship that they now have with Jesus Christ. And far too often I fear that we forget about the uniqueness of that relationship. Let's just go through this very quickly. We could camp out on each one of these verses for quite a while. Ephesians 2.5 We've been made alive in Christ. We've been saved by grace. 2.6 We've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. 2.10 We've been created in Christ for good works. Verse 13, chapter 2 We've been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, we've been reconciled to Christ. Where once there was hostility between us and the living God, now there is a sense of oneness, of reconciliation. Chapter 2, verse 18, we have direct access to the Father. Direct access. We don't have to set up an appointment with Him. 
We can come into his presence with boldness. Verse 19, we are fellow citizens with the people of God. You see, we as Christ followers, we have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of these United States, but we're also citizens of heaven. We're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You just stop and think about these things. This, when we're conscious of who we are now in this new relationship with Jesus Christ, it is for this reason we kneel before our Father. Look at verse 22 of chapter 2. We are the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus and God the Father through the Holy Spirit are alive and well within our hearts. Chapter 3 and verse 12, we have freedom and boldness to approach the Father because of the finished work of Christ. Whenever you kind of feel down and discouraged and defeated, turn over to Ephesians and begin reading about who you are in Jesus. Well, let me tell you, it'll change your disposition. It'll change the way you look at the world around you. And in spite of all that Paul had received from God, and in spite of all that we have, well, Paul also makes it very clear that the Christian life is not always smooth. There is some turbulence in our lives. There are things that we go through that we wish we would never ever have to go through. Therefore, he says in the last part of, of uh, chapter 3 and verse 13, excuse me, verse 13, he talks about the fact, uh, Therefore do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. In other words, he lets them know that, hey, you got tremendous resources in Christ, but that does not preclude you from having to go through things that you wish you would never ever have to go through. And it's on the basis of these Realities. We have resources on one hand and we also have difficulties on the other. That this is what prompts us to run to the Father and to kneel before Him and to get alone with Him and cultivate this relationship in prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And friends, when we are in that kind of a position before God, we'll be able to acknowledge our spiritual deficiencies and also the supernatural resources that are available to us as we get alone with God. Now in this particular passage of Scripture, Paul prays four very specific requests. Number one, for weakness, we need to pray for strength. Notice what he says in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul acknowledges that all of us as Christ followers, things don't always go the way we planned. More often than not, we face turbulence. We face troubles and trials and situations you take a look at the life of the apostle paul it was not an easy life sometimes we think that this great giant of the faith he just kind of cruised on through life and tumbled into heaven no no 
He went through a lot of difficulties and hardships and trials and struggles, and he acknowledges that these sufferings are so that the people of God can rejoice in the fact that even though he's experiencing those sufferings, it is for their glory because as he overcomes through the strength of the loving God, they too can overcome. And his prayer in this verse is that we might experience inner strength to make up for our human weaknesses. And this is the first prayer that it is on his agenda. We need to pray every day that God would fortify us, that he would strengthen us, not so much in our outer physical being, but in that part of our lives which only he sees. By the way, the most important part of our life is not the external. The Bible says God, man looks on the outward appearance. Where does God look? He looks in the heart. You see, he looks in the heart. And Paul speaks about this inner part of our lives that only God sees as our inner man or our inner being. And it's that spiritual part of our lives which before our encounter with Christ was dead in trespasses and sins. We had no tendency, no inclination toward God. Our inner man was dead. But because we have experienced new life in Christ, it is now alive. And since we've placed our faith in Him, our inner being is to be renewed and made alive and strengthened each day. It's made new as we lean into the grace of God. Our greatest needs are not external. So many times our focus is on what's happening all around us. The most important issues of life have to do with what's going on on the inside of us because when the inside is all messed up, the external is also not what it ought to be. Our inner being is that part of us that will live forever. And it's interesting that he contrasts the outer part of our bodies, that physical part that ages and gets old and wrinkled and dried up, with that inner, that inner being which is constantly being renewed day after day. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, though outwardly we're wasting away or we're decaying away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And so he pleads with the Ephesians that they daily strengthen themselves on the inside so they can stand up to all that the enemy throws at them from the outside. Unless our inner being is being renewed and strengthened every day, we don't have a fighting chance against the enemy who throws everything at us and is out to defeat us and destroy us. Now notice his emphasis. We pray for inner strength, notice in verse 16, in proportion to the resources of God, according to his glorious resources. Now, as you go through the book of Ephesians, that little phrase, the riches of God, is referred to again and again. 
For example, in Ephesians 1, 7, he speaks of the riches of God's grace. His rich grace for he provides salvation for us. In chapter 2 and verse 4, he talks about God being rich in mercy. And it's because of his mercy that he makes us alive in Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, he talks about the fact that he's been called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's all about the riches that we have because we're in a relationship with the living God. And here in verse 16, he urges the Ephesians to pray that God would give them inner strength out of his glorious riches. Now, the NIV here is not quite as accurate as it should be. You should translate that phrase, not out of his glorious riches, but rather, as the ESV and the New American Standard Bible translated, according to his riches of his glory. God strengthens us not out of his riches, but according to the richness of his glory. Now let me explain. If you happen to meet a billionaire someday and he gives you $10, he has given you out of his riches. But if that same billionaire gives you a million dollars, He's given you according to. He's given you in proportion to all that he has. And so when Paul says you are being strengthened according to the glorious riches of Christ, he's not just given you a token of his riches. He's given you the abundance of the riches of his grace. And his first petition indicates that God's resources, unlike ours, are totally inexhaustible. We cannot exhaust the riches of God. Furthermore, not only do we have the prospect of being strengthened by His Spirit in our inner being in proportion to God's supernatural riches, we are strengthened by His Holy Spirit. Notice, he says, power through His Spirit. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, the moment we believe, the Holy Spirit comes in. You and I possess the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? He knows everything about us. The Holy Spirit is at work within us. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to lean into God's inexhaustible resources so that we have the strength to stand up to the enemy. Paul's petition is that these people would have an awareness that the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. So many times we, uh, we have a funny view of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes think He's some kind of a, a ghost who shows up when you have everything just right, you know, in the service. Then the Holy Spirit, let, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit lives inside every single one of you. And it, it's His power at work within us that strengthens us in our inner being. And it's the Holy Spirit that reminds us that when we are weak, we can lean into the strength of a resurrected Christ. Now, notice what he says there. He says, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Put a circle around that word power. Look over at 
chapter 3 and verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given through the working of His power. And then look at chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. His incomparably great power for us who believe, and here it is, underline it in chartreuse, that power is like the working of His mighty strength. That's a complete different word than the word power. It speaks of resurrection power, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you understand this? We have at our disposal not only the Holy Spirit who lives within us and gives us power to stand up to temptation and the battles of life that we face, but we have the exertion of the mighty power that God exercised in raising Christ from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that is unlimited power. For our weaknesses, He wants us not to rely on ourselves, but rather to constantly be renewing that inner man and that inner man is refreshed again and again through the Holy Spirit and through a resurrected Christ. This is first petition. Number two. For shallowness, we need to pray for depth. Notice. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love... Now, for weakness, he prays for strength. For shallowness, he prays for depth. His desire is that Christ, notice, would dwell, put a circle around that word, would dwell in their hearts. He wants them to be aware of the awesomeness and the inclusiveness of Christ's love. That word dwell is a domestic term which distinguishes Scribes finality. His prayer is that they would come to that place in their spiritual lives where Christ would actually settle down and stay and be at home in their hearts. Now, there is a difference between looking for lodging and looking for a residence. When you're looking for lodging, you're just there to find a place to stay for a night or two. But when you are looking for a place to be at home, you're looking for a place to settle in. And so his prayer is, is that the body of Christ there at Ephesus would begin to understand what it means to be at home and to have Jesus to be at home in their lives. You see, Christ doesn't want just a casual relationship with us. He wants us to build an at-home relationship with Him. A deepening relationship. That Christ would be at home in our hearts. That there's nothing in our hearts that would cause Him to feel uneasy. What about the thoughts that we've been thinking this past week. Would Christ be at home with our thoughts? What about our actions and our attitudes toward others? Would Christ feel at home or would He get uneasy 
if he listened to the way we talked to maybe our family maybe to others in the family of God maybe to those outside of Christ is Christ really at home in our lives and he's praying that that they would so be be so in love with Jesus that Jesus would feel at home in their hearts and he takes it a step further in verse 17 he he wants them to be rooted in love you see you have a domestic term dwell and now we have a botanical term to be rooted and it carries with the idea of being securely settled firmly planted well rooted you see a tree if it's going to go tall its roots must what they must go down deep into the soil you see the footage is determined by the rootage and he wants our roots to go down deep and deep and deep into this love of Christ that he is speaking about here. He prays that they would go down deep into the love of Christ so that they can receive spiritual nourishment and strength. Where do you go for your spiritual nourishment? Where do you go? Do you depend on others to do your spiritual thinking for you? Do you actually really read the scriptures or are you always reading about what others are saying about the scriptures? Are you depending on others to do your spiritual digging for you or are your roots going down deep, deep, deep into the love of Christ? Now there's nothing wrong with devotionals and those kind of things I have them but I don't depend on them because I want, I, I, I want I want to catch some fresh stuff from God I don't want to have to depend on what others are saying about the scriptures I want to go so deep into the love of God where God is speaking to me and my spiritual nourishment comes from his word not from commentary not from what others are saying about it. And so many of us, you know, we, we, we get so taken up with all the books and all the things. I mean, we live in a, an age where there is so much available to us. And if we're not careful, good books can take our attention off the Word of God. And that's why he says, I want you to go down deep, deep, deep into the roots of the Word of God so that you can grow strong in His grace. And then he uses a third architectural term. He says, so that you may be established in love. He not only wants us to be like a well-rooted tree, but also like a well-built house whose foundations are firm. The foundation is what determines the footage. Remember a few years back that high-rise in Miami that all of a sudden collapsed? The problem was the foundation. The foundation wasn't solid. There were cracks in the foundation. People ignored it. So we need to be so at home with Jesus where we, 
we really are leaning into Him. We need to be so rooted in His love and so established or grounded in His love that we can stand everything that is thrown at us from the outside. The end result is depth instead of shallowness, a river of righteousness instead of spiritual dryness. Number three, for short-sightedness, we need to pray for perspective. Notice verses 18 and 19, may have power together with all the saints to grasp, put a circle around that word we're going to talk about, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For human weakness, we need to pray for divine strength. For spiritual shallowness, we need to pray for spiritual depth. Now for short-sightedness, we need to pray for spiritual vision to see things from God's point of view. I believe that's our greatest need today is to learn to see things from God's point of view. We have so many voices that are screaming for our attention. And in all the stuff and all the voices that are screaming at us, many times the voice of God is muffled and it doesn't get through. Our perspectives are clouded by what I call the tyranny of the urgent and the eternally insignificant. Our minds are distracted with trivia matters. And Paul moves this prayer from strength and depth. He proceeds to ask God for a spiritual perspective. Is that what we're asking God for? To give us the ability to see things from His point of view. Now I want you to put a circle around that word grasp. It's a very interesting word. It's a word that speaks of taking hold of something to make it our own, to seize it or take possession of something. He is saying, I want you as the Ephesians to so pray that you can grasp, hang on to this incredible love that God has for you. And yet he says, it's impossible for you to do it. So it's almost an enigma. I want you to grasp onto this incredible love for, for, that God has for you. It's so high, it's so deep, it's so wide, it's so long. You're never going to be able to grab onto it, but I want you to grab onto it. That's the sense of what's going on here. He wants us to grasp the full measure of how much God loves us. God loves us so much. <laughs> Never doubt for a moment that you are loved of God. God's love, Christ's love for us, in one sense is beyond us. It's infinitely greater and more far-reaching than we could ever imagine. And no matter how much of Christ's love we experience, friends, there are oceans of His love, dimensions of His love that we have never yet fully tapped. He loves us so, so much 
And He wants us to experience that love. And yet He also reminds us that we can never exhaust it. It's an inexhaustible love that He has for us. It's more than we could ever imagine. Christ's love is so big, so inexhaustible. We, we experience a little bit of that love when by faith we trust Christ, but as we keep on growing, we experience more and more and more of His love, but we'll never, ever drain the ocean dry. Never. God's love is so high and so wide and so deep and so incredibly all-encompassing that though He encourages us to grab onto it, He also says, you'll never be able to do it until one day you see Jesus. I think one day when we see Jesus... That is when we're going to be experiencing the full measure of all the incredible love that He has for us. Today we rejoice in His love. Tomorrow we are candidates for His love even more. And let's be honest. There are times when we feel that God doesn't love us. And you feel that way, come back here. Ephesians chapter 3. He loves you like no one else could ever love you. He loves you warts and all. And He wants you to keep on experiencing more and more and more of His love as you keep on trusting Him. We can't earn it. Let me tell you this. We can't earn His love. We have it. And the more we grasp the vastness of His love, the clearer our perspective will become. The more we hang on to this incredible love that Christ has for us, we no longer see blur. We see a clear picture of how God values us And how he wants to keep on doing his work, his way, in our lives. And then the fourth request for emptiness, we need to pray for fullness. Notice verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For weakness, he prays for strength. For shallowness, he prays for depth. For short-sightedness, he prays for perspective. And now for emptiness, he prays for fullness. You see, Paul's not content with a half cup of God. He wants to be filled to the brim with all the fullness of God. Now, notice in chapter 1, in verse 23, what he says... He says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, Paul doesn't want bits and pieces of God. He wants to be filled with the fullness 
of God. More than anything else, he is craving the presence of the living God. He wants to be aware of Christ 24-7. Charles Spurgeon, a great evangelist, made a statement that I can't make, and I'm sure many of us can't make. He made the statement, he said, There has never been 15 minutes in my life when I did not sense the presence of Christ. I can't make that statement. There are times when, because of everything that's happening around me, I get so distracted, my mind starts to wander. I move in areas that I know I ought not to be wandering. And Paul is saying here that when we have that empty feeling and we don't know which way to turn and our lives are empty and it just—it seems like God is far away, that's when we need to ask Him to fill us anew with His fullness. His joy. The fullness of God is literally Himself. He wants us to be filled with Him. And that means we've got to get rid of self. The thing that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God more than anything else is just dear old self. In one sense, we as believers stand complete in Christ when by faith we trust Him. And in another sense, we're growing toward that final fullness which God is in Himself. And in the interim period, notice... The measure must always be the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We have to stop comparing ourselves to each other. One of the things that gets us sidetracked is we begin comparing. Well, I'm not, I'm not like that person. I'm pretty good. I don't respond that way. That, you know... We're not to compare ourselves to other Christ followers, who, by the way, are still people in process. By the way, all of us are people in process. Hadn't everybody said? Yeah, okay. We're all people in process. So God's not done with any of us yet. But we ought not to be comparing ourselves to each other. We need to be comparing ourselves to the one who dwells within us and who loves us and wants us to relish his presence in our lives. What an incredible prayer this is. You talk about connecting with God. When you don't know what to pray for, come back here to Ephesians chapter 3 and pray these four petitions. And you'll come to the very same conclusion that Paul does. Notice the last verse. He breaks forth into a grand doxology. And it has three parts. Notice, he first of all acknowledges God's person to him who is able. To him who is able. God is able. We may not be able. He is able to do far more than any of us could ever ask or think. That's why the connection is so significant. And then he affirms God's power. Notice, he speaks in superlatives about God. God is able. Then notice, God is able to do. He's not done. God is able to do immeasurably. Over and above all that, God's able to do immeasurably more beyond even that. 
God is able to do immeasurably more than all. Even more on top of that. That's what he's saying here. All that we could ever ask or imagine or dare to think. (laughs) That's what God's able to do. He has no limitations. Absolutely none. He wants to do for East Bay immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think. He has this church in His hands. Doesn't belong to any of us. Belongs to the living God. And He wants to do for us and our church that we can't do for ourselves. We've been trying too hard. When we try, we fail. But when we trust the living God, He succeeds. He does more than we could ever imagine. And then notice, lastly, he ascribes God's praise. He says, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You see, I believe God wants to do something immeasurably beyond anything we can imagine here at church, not just for the generation that is here, but for the generation that will follow us and for the generations yet to be born. You see, God allows us to be stewards in a sense of this incredible love that he wants us to grasp onto. He wants us to be stewards of this so that we can pass it to one generation and the next. And they can look back and say, yeah, there was a time when the church got a little bit sideways, but let me tell you, God's people humbled themselves before God. God's people got their eyes on Jesus, and God did an amazing work at Calvary East Bay. Do you believe that? That's what God wants to do. Connecting with God in prayer. You see, we don't operate on the storage principle. We operate on the contact principle. Remember the old trolley cars that you would see in the old movies? As long as they stayed in contact with the wire, they ran pretty good. They lost contact with that wire. They stopped. I'm reminded of what happened when America was on the forefront of the race to the moon. And it was always very intriguing to me that as they would orbit around the moon and then as that lunar lander would separate and two of the astronauts would go down on the moon there was one astronaut that stayed in that capsule that circled the moon, but when they got on the back side of the moon, all contact was shut off. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Here's a guy in a capsule, flying around in the dark, absolutely no contact. And it was some of the most terrifying moments that they would ever experience. And they waited for that moment 
when contact would be reestablished and they realized that the mission had been successful. Friends, we cannot afford a communication blackout from God. He wants us to stay in connection with Him. And the best way to do this is through the power of prayer. Let's stand together for closing prayer. Father in heaven, how good it is to know that you are in control, we are not. Lord, our world is pursuing many things, but as your people, we want to be in hot pursuit after you. Lord, take our weakness and make it your strength. Take our shallowness and help us to get down deep into the rich resources of your love. Forgive us for being so short-sighted and forgetting about the perspective that you want to birth in each of our hearts. And Lord, for emptiness, oh God, fill us with the presence of your Son, Jesus. Help us to live every day not in the energy of the flesh, but in the energy of your resurrection power. Help us to tap your resources every single day and to keep our eyes on you. Lord, we love you. You have been so good to us. May we, as the body of Christ, keep our eyes on you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to keep our eye on the prize, that heavenward calling in Christ Jesus. Let nothing distract us. Fill us with your life, your power, your grace, your riches. Help us to experience all of that daily as we surrender our lives to you, our King. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now, and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus.